We are continuing our study through 1 Peter, and uh, we're in week three, and we come to verse three. <laughs> that um, bodes well for how long we're going to be in 1 Peter, except we're going to do a whole paragraph today. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice though now for a little while you may have to have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. And all God's people said, yeah, that's me. <laughs> right? These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation, the word there means deliverance, of your souls. That is a great little paragraph. In fact, we're going to come back to it uh, next week and, and talk about that phrase, inexpressible and glorious joy. You've, you've got to talk about that when you're studying the scriptures. But we're going to look at, at these verses, 3 through 9 today. And Peter sets the tone for the paragraph with the first sentence, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he then begins to describe some things for which we are to praise God. I assume that you have some things that you regularly thank God for. If what we're going to talk about this morning are not included in your list, maybe you should add these to your list as well. Because Peter gives us some reasons to praise God. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. First, because his mercy has brought us into his family. He has given us new birth because of his mercy. His mercy is the opposite of what we deserve. And it is his mercy that makes it possible for us to receive the new birth and become members of his family. We need to pause and remember we are part of the family of God because of his great mercies. When I was reflecting on that, Donna had um, read a quote that she had found from a writer who was writing on Psalm 51, verse 1, where David prays, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. J.C. Philpot writes on that verse, what a sweet expression it is, and how it seems to convey to our mind that God's mercies do not fall drop by drop, but are as innumerable as the sand on the seashore, 
as the stars that stud the midnight sky, as the drops of rain that fill the clouds before they discharge their copious showers on the earth. It's the multitude of his mercies that makes him so merciful a God. He does not give but a drop or two of mercy. That would soon be gone, like the rain that fell this morning under the hot sun. But his mercies flow like a river. There is in him a multitude of mercies. And aren't you glad? But Peter says, in his great mercy, he has brought me into his family. Praise be to God, we are a part of the family of God. Then he says that this new birth through the resurrection of Christ gives me hope. This is Easter sermon number one. Christ's resurrection gives me hope. Now we're born into hope through the new birth. This verse is fascinating. In his great mercy... He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Christ from the dead. We have this hope because we've been born into the family of God. That's significant because if you describe hope in our world today, people are going to look at you like you've lost your touch with reality. How do you have hope? Well, we have hope because we've been born in to the family of God. Our hope is uniquely Christian. So don't expect people who are not Christians to understand why you still have hope. They are not able to because they've not been born into this hope by being a part of the family of God. We can still have hope because... Of the resurrection. We've been born into it, but the foundation of that hope is the resurrection of Christ. I have a challenge every Easter Sunday not to preach on hope because the resurrection is what gives us our hope. If Christ has not been raised from the dead, we are of all people most miserable. We're still in our sins. We have no hope. But because of the resurrection, we have hope. Now, we don't know if Peter was thinking about his denial of Christ or whether he was thinking about what it was like hiding in that room for fear of the Jews when Christ suddenly appears. But regardless, he's now 30-some years on the other side of the resurrection. And he has experienced for himself the difference that Easter makes. We have a living hope through the resurrection of Christ. The Easter event became the very center of the disciples' life and teaching. It was the hope they lived by. It was the message they preached. It was the message they died for because Christ had conquered death, and therefore they have hope. And I, I looked at that word, a living hope, and I found out that it means a couple of different things. It means that this hope 
has power in and of itself. Because of the resurrection, our hope has power in and of itself. But it also means that it exerts that power on us. I love that. That the resurrection power of Christ has power in and of itself to give us hope. And that hope then empowers us. This idea of resurrection hope is not some ethereal kind of nebulous thing. It is God's power exerted on me to give me hope, to give me the ability to stay strong. Hope and faith are closely related. Faith deals with the details. Hope is the big picture. Faith is specific and definite. Hope focuses on God. If we didn't have hope, we couldn't have faith. And when the devil wants to attack your faith, he starts by attacking your hope. So when you begin to feel like you're losing hope, pay attention. (laughs) The devil's coming after you to try to ultimately attack your faith. And so I want to sit here for a minute and talk about hope. As I said, Easter sermon number one. Hope, in the biblical context, is defined as the full assurance, the strong confidence that God is going to do good to us in the future. There are four elements to biblical hope. It's confidence in God's help. It is the expectation that God will keep his word. He keeps his promises. And we are confident in his help. I remember a little couplet that I read decades ago. Yesterday God helped me. Today he'll do the same. How long will this continue? Forever. Praise his name. We have confidence in God's help. Hope is Christ-centered, not circumstance-centered. It is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It is Christ who is our hope. Our hope is not based on who wins the next election or what law gets passed. Our hope is based not on circumstances, but in Christ. And when you have your hope based in him, you will then demonstrate stability and steadfastness and certainty in your life. Your hope builds your morale. Your hope keeps you steady during the testing times. But the hope is ultimately directed toward the future. If you drop down, and we'll be here in a a few weeks, to verse 13 of 1 Peter 1, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. It's based in the future. It's directed toward the future. It is the resurrection hope based toward the future. Make sure that you understand that. Our hope will only be fully realized when Christ returns to earth. So we can have hope in the face of the challenges of life, because we know 
what the future holds. More accurately, we know who the future holds. It's not that something better is coming. is that someone better is coming. So praise be to God. His mercy has brought me into his family. His resurrection gives me hope. And third, praise be to God because I have an inheritance. Verse 4, we've been born into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade that is kept in heaven for you. That's a cool verse. It is an inheritance that can never perish. That word means it's not subject to decay. It's beyond the reach of economic downturns. <laughs> Our inheritance in heaven cannot be impacted by runs on banks. Uh, if you got your year-end statement for your, your retirement account or whatever, it was probably distressing. You know? And uh, I remember a few years ago when we had one of those economic crashes, listening to people on the job saying, i got to work five more years now just to make up for what I lost in the last two months. Um, but our inheritance in heaven is not impacted. It can never perish. It can never spoil. That is, it's pure. It's free from anything that would cause it to be defiled. It can never fade. It is a perennial inheritance. And it's an interesting word study here. The word translated fade actually is a variation of the word amaranth, which was the name of a mythical flower whose bloom was perpetual and never faded. It would never wither. It would never fade. And if you picked it and it began to die, you could immediately revive it with just moistening it with water. And that imaginary mythical plant, amaranth, Peter uses a, a, a variation of that word to say your inheritance will never fade. A lot of things fade with age. Our inheritance never perishes, never spoils, never fades because it is kept in heaven for you. That word kept means to guard, to take care of. God is watching over your inheritance. Your inheritance in heaven. You remember the scripture says that he'll give rewards to even a cup of cold water given in his name that inheritance is guarded by God himself he's taking care of your eternal inheritance and he's taking care of us because he continues by saying this inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power that's a military term that means also to guard or to protect. And what was interesting is this word was used to describe a guard, a military battalion preventing an invasion. But sometimes it was used of a city that was under siege. You may remember in those days, a lot of times what military did, they just laid siege to a city cut off their water supply, cut off all of their food supplies, cut off everything, just surrounded the city and waited them out. 
and there would be a temptation for the citizens of that city to try to run away from the siege. This word, shielded, was used to describe an, an army keeping the people from running away. Which kind of hit me, kind of, I don't know if funny is the right word, but, but it, it kind of gave a different perspective on that. Because isn't it true that sometimes we run and run away? Well, let me say that again. <laughs> we want to run away. The, the troubles come, the struggles come, the problems come, and we want to run away. You know, flee like a bird to your mountain. No, God is there shielding us. He's saying, it's going to be okay. I've got you. I'm protecting you. Your inheritance is guarded in heaven, and you are shielded by my power through your faith. I'm shielded by the power of God. And you may know the English word dynamite. It comes from the Greek word dunamis, which is the word used here, the power of God. The dynamite, dynamo, power of God is guarding us and protecting us. But we're also shielded through our faith. We would like it if God did it all for us, but he doesn't. He expects us to do our part. And the blessings and benefits we get from being a part of the family of God is dependent on our faith, which is at work in him. Doesn't take much. Remember, he said just as much of a grain of a mustard seed. But our faith is what allows us to take hold of all of the blessings that God gives to us. So, we have been born into the family of God through his mercy. His resurrection gives us hope. We have an inheritance that God's protecting. And we ourselves are shielded by his power. In light of that, how should we respond? How can we keep holding on to hope in the midst of challenging times? There are some things that we need to believe. Let me give you three statements. They come beginning in verse 6. In all of this, what he's just talked about, you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. We said a couple of weeks ago that one of the themes of Peter is suffering. And one of the themes of Peter is hope. And one of the themes of Peter is your hope in the midst of suffering is because we know of Christ's resurrection and he's coming back for us. So Peter kind of summarizes it in verses 6 through 9. He says, you are going through grief in all kinds of trials. What's interesting is this particular word trial just means the general challenges of living the Christian life. And, you know, the trials are different, you know, at different seasons of life, at different times of life. There are problems that we face, sometimes exclusively because we're followers of Christ. And he says there are all kinds of them. He doesn't list them. You probably could. Uh, we could each take a piece of paper out and list five kinds of trials we're going through right now. Well, Paul says 
in the midst of all of these kinds of trials, we can still rejoice because of God's mercy and his resurrection and his, our inheritance and his protection. We can still rejoice. What do we need to believe? First is that trials are temporary. You've had for a little while, he says, you've gone through this suffering. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul talks about the, the afflictions that come for a moment. Let me make sure that I let you know that I understand that when you're in the middle of the trial, it does not seem temporary. When you're in the middle of the trial, you wonder, is this ever going to get better? When you're miserably sick at night, you wonder, is the sun ever going to come up? I feel like if I could just see the daylight, I might feel better. And, and when you're in the midst of the trials, they sure don't seem temporary. But in light of eternity and in light of our inheritance, those trials are temporary. Paul said they're not even worthy to be compared with what's being laid up for us in our inheritance. The second thing we should believe is that trials teach me I can trust God. He talks about the proven genuineness of your faith. It's only through the trials that you can learn to trust God. If you talk to a, a coach of a sports team, he will tell you it's through the challenging times that you learn to get better. I, I saw a bit of an interview with one of the basketball coaches of, of uh, I think, Miami's women's team. And, and she was talking about, yes, it was good for us to have this experience in the game. It was good for us to go through that tough time in the game. But more important than that, it was important that these girls learned this is what happens in life. That in your life, you keep strong, you keep steady, you keep doing what's right. And, and it's so important for us to understand that our trials teach us that we can trust God. Andre Crouch's great song, Through It All, if I never had a problem, I'd never know God could solve them, and I'd never know what faith in God can do. And Paul Peter says here that your faith is more precious than gold. He, he talks about gold being refined by fire. I learned something about that. There was a uh, crafts show going on, and, and one of the things that was going on at this particular show, they were saying this is how things used to be done. A goldsmith was refining gold, and he had it in the furnace, and he was stirring it. And somebody asked him, how do you know when the gold is pure? And he said, I can see my reflection in it. Oh, yeah. What does Paul tell us in Romans 8? The trials that we go through, they're working for our good because God is conforming us to the image of his son. God keeps stirring until he can see his reflection in us. And these trials teach us that we can trust God. And you look back over your life and you know that. 
you're able to face the challenges of this season of your life because God was with you in the challenges of earlier seasons of your life. And you've learned that you can trust him. And we also need to believe that our faith will be rewarded. In verse 9, he talks about the end result of our faith, the salvation, and that word there means the deliverance of our souls. In verse 13, he talks about at his coming. Again, we, we need to remember that this life is not all there is. The uh, rewards for a believer aren't given out in this life. The rewards, that inheritance that we just talked about, is kept in heaven for us. And our faith will be rewarded. Just remember that. That this life is not all there is. And, and sometimes in our humanity, we get a little frustrated and disappointed because, you know, I did all this work and nobody said thank you. I did all this and somebody else swooped in and took the glory. I did all this work behind the scenes and the boss gave the promotion to the next guy, you know, who didn't do anything except present the report. You know, and, and we've all gone through those kinds of events. But for the believer, the Bible says God will not forget your work and labor of love. He said a cup of cold water given to somebody in my name will have its reward. And we need to hold on to that. That these trials that we're going through, no matter how intense they are, how severe they are, in light of eternity, they're temporary. These trials are teaching us a deeper level of trust in God. And we hold on to the fact that they will be rewarded. And Paul said again, they're not worthy to be compared with the weight of glory that they're storing up for us. So no wonder Peter begins this paragraph. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have been born into his family through his mercy. Through the resurrection we have hope. We have this inheritance in heaven who is, that is guarded by God himself, who also shields us by his power. So we can make it one more day, one more moment, because of God's power in our lives. And one day, at his coming, will be the ultimate reward. Father, thank you that you are our God, that you are faithful, that you are dependable, and that you pay attention. And that there's coming a day when we will hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. And there is coming a day at your return when we will receive the rewards for what we've done. But then, Lord, we know that the scripture tells us that we'll take those crowns and we'll cast them at your feet because we realize that anything that we accomplish on this earth is only because of you working through us. So may we stay focused on you. When we're tempted to want to run away, may we stay protected by you. May we remember that you are our God. This world is not our home. And there's coming a day when we will see you face to face. And so we can hold on to our hope and we can rejoice in you
and give you praise. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you and give you his peace now and evermore. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for coming today.